Your On The Mark podcast is loading now. The On The Mark podcast is sponsored by the Sunbury Motor Company, family-owned dealership since 1915, 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, on Routes 11 and 15, Hummel's Wharf. News Radio 1070 WKOK presents On the Mark. It's a chance to voice your opinion on the events that affect life in the Susquehanna Valley. Call 1 800 795 9565 or email on the mark at WKOK.com. Now, here are your hosts for On the Mark. Mark Lawrence and Joe McGranahan. Greetings. Welcome on board. WKOK's live telephone talk show, On the Mark. I'm Mark Lawrence. Mr. Joe. Yes. Hopefully our guest will be able to get through on the phone. I don't think so. We're keeping our fingers crossed. (laughs) Not until we get a producer there. Okay. Well. But, uh, yeah. Kevin's failing on the job, but he'll be along shortly. (laughs) Ah, we have her. She's on the phone. Okay. Her patience has been rewarded. (laughs) Her persistence. (laughs) All right. Uh, Kendra Auker, President and CEO, Evangelical Community Hospital, talking about the state of the surge and the prognosis for the future of the hospital. And she's not going to disclose today what's going to be happening to the country covered. Oh, come on, Kendra. You can give us a hint. (laughs) (laughs) Good morning. Morning, Kendra. You probably can give us hints because there's only so many things you can do with it. I hope it involves the sticky buns again, Kendra. (laughs) (laughs) I have a feeling that's not going to happen. Okay. Well, thank you so much for checking in. Very much appreciated. We really do think this is a pivotal time out there. So let's talk about this surge in cases. Uh, One of the voices I heard over the weekend called it a secret surge. uh, But I don't think it's a secret. I think it's out there, but we're in denial. The general public's like, uh, don't talk about it if you don't discuss it. Maybe it won't spread so much. Uh, How do you encapsulate this increase in cases that we do have uh, now? Sure. I mean, I obviously there's a surge, but the way that we look at it is, you know, the virus is doing what a virus always does, and it just continues to mutate until everyone's had it, till it, you know, you've been vaccinated against it or it burns out, whatever case it is with whatever virus you're dealing with. And so, you know, what we're seeing is we, we have eight patients with COVID in the hospital right now. One is in the ICU. So we have been consistently seeing around that many patients in the last month or so. Um, You know, whether we see an even greater spike, it it seems maybe not. You know, maybe it isn't affecting hospitalizations as great. And so at this point, you know, we always hold our breath and and hope that um, it's not as um, impactful to people as some of uh, what has occurred in the past. So, um, you know, it's going to, I believe, continue to do this until it's deemed what they call endemic, and it's just something that we as healthcare providers have to deal with on a regular basis. Now, most of the people in the hospital are vaccinated. What conclusion or inference can be drawn there? You know, I, I kind of liken it to what you do with a flu season. You know, you get a flu shot, and they make their best attempt at what you know, the flu is going to do that year, and sometimes it's right on and sometimes it's not. And I think with COVID, you're going to start to see the same thing. I mean, the value of getting the vaccine is that um, imagine if people didn't have it, um, how their bodies might respond. So at least it gives you some protection against severe response. So when I look at it, um, people that have had the vaccine, they may be in the hospital and they may be getting 
some um, additional antibodies to help them. They may have a pre-existing condition, you know, something that um, is making this a harder stay for them, but they're not the people in critical care. Kendra, what, so, oh, what types that's, of... That's how I look at it. What types of variants are you seeing? Are you seeing more than one? Are you seeing one that's predominant, or are they all still around? Yeah, you know, we, we do not see the way we test here and what we get. We don't know exactly which strain um, people have. We just kind of follow what the state guidance is from people who uh, report uh, or, you know, when it gets reported to the state lab, they're the people that look into that. We don't really study um, too much which variant they have. My understanding is is it's mostly the evolution of the new variant that is, is, what people, is what is being seen. And are they lesser? I mean, does each wave get to be less virulent or less you know, problematic? Yes, I think that's exactly um, how it is. And Again, that's why you're not seeing so many people hospitalized. Biggest issues facing the hospital now. We've talked a ton about nursing in the past two years. That's still at the top of your uh, sort of lose-sleep headache list? <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I guess I would say that all of labor is a challenge right now. We have about 180 open positions across the organization. We're a workforce of about 2,000. So we still have agency staff covering open positions. Um, however, it's, we're using agency staff. It's about less than half of what it was during our peak um, patient census. You know, at our peak, we had about 148 agency staff with about 115 of them as RNs. And so clearly where we are seeing um, the need for agency staff is RNs, EMTs, and paramedics, and medical lab scientists, um, but we've, we've been able to cut that in half, and the way that I choose to look at it is it's, it's been a positive for us. I mean, we've been in the sense that we've been able to get agency staff to help us care for the community during peak time. The um, agency people like working here, um, we've been able to provide excellent patient care during that time, and would we like to get back to having our own staff employed, particularly in nurses? Absolutely. But for now, this is the trend nationally, and um, you know we're attractive to nurses as, as a place to come and work. So we've had no issues um, maintaining adequate staff to care for our patients. With the census down right now, you know we've had to we've been able to cut in half that agency um, wow. utilization, which has been been positive for us. Well, having had several appointments at Evan recently, I'm familiar with the telephone call we get saying that you know you must must wear a mask at all times and all the facilities. What for all, did you do now? All your appointments. Um, there's that message, and that you can bring one person of 18 years of age or older along with you. Do you see any of these restrictions being lifted? And what what criteria would have to be in place before you would be comfortable saying, okay, masks are optional, and you know anybody can come in the hospital. Well, masking in healthcare is dictated right now by the state, so we cannot stop masking um, on, until the state says that it is okay, the Department of Health, to not mask in a healthcare facility. So that one is not in our hands, you know, um, because all of our administrative areas and business functions are attached mostly to the hospital. That requires us all to be masked. Certainly in business offices, when you're in your office by yourself or in your small groups, 
we remove our masks, but as soon as we step out into a hallway, and it's because, you know, we're just a small organization and everything is tied to a clinical area. So that one is dictated by the state. With regard to visitation, we've been easing visitation up slowly, and our plan is by July to ease it up even more. We um, will be moving to 24-hour stays, which was something when we built Prime that we wanted to do for visitors, that if you, know, you have a room by yourself and if you wish to stay with your loved one overnight, um, you will be able to. So we are moving, um, we're gonna be hopefully moving to that in July if everything stays the same. But this is a situation I think where you have to be able to open up and, and restrict as the virus dictates. And so we feel confident you know, right now that um, we can move to the, in the direction that we wanted to. So some of that will just ease over time. And again, it's that notion of when the virus becomes an endemic. And I'm not sure when the Department of Health will say um, that it's okay for healthcare facilities not to have individuals mask. But it is, uh, I know it's very frustrating to the public when they come in and they have to mask. They think we're like everyone else and you should have a choice. It's your choice. But for us, it's a requirement of the state. Well, having a procedure with a mask on isn't always fun either, and I'm sure it's not fun for the people who have to do it. Let's switch directions for a moment. Uh, a lot has been mentioned in the media over the past few years about the tie-up between Geisinger and Evan. What's the status of that now? Where do you see it going? Do you see it changing or morphing in the future? Sure. Um, you know, I think the way that this played out was that it wasn't a, a merger, and the uh, FTC generally reviews mergers. It was a minority interest, so it went to the Department of Justice, and they reviewed it from a competitive standpoint. Um, candidly, you know, I don't know that there's quite an understanding of rural health care, but the original um, notion was for Geisinger to take a 30% minority stake in us. Um, it did not go that way. The DOJ would not approve that. So Geisinger took a 7.5% minority stake in us. They get, um, you know, they don't serve on our, there's no representatives appointed to our board. But what it's allowed us to do is, um, you know, we're still a tier one um, hospital in the health plan, which is certainly better for uh, the people of the region who have the Geisinger Health Plan and wish to use evangelical services. Um, they made an investment in, in the Prime Project and we are still allowed to um, operate and move forward with the Miller Center. We do have some professional services agreements with them where they have physicians who come here. Um, for instance, urology, you know, they have some foot and ankle surgeons who do some cases in our facility. Those things are uh, allowed to continue. And the main one that I think is best is really good for the public is the fact that um, in December Evangelical will move to the EPIC platform and so our electronic uh, medical record will be EPIC and it will be much easier for providers in each organization to be able to, um, you know, with the patient's permission, see the uh, health information of that patient. So if you're a if you see a Geisinger physician and you end up in our emergency room, the emergency room physicians, for example, would be able to much more easily see your medication list, be able to see what sort of recent tests you've had, that type of thing. So I think in our area, it really affords um, better patient care. So that's the deal. They have made a 7.5% minority stake in us. We are a totally independent hospital with no control. Um, 
or any kind of governance impact or anything. So it, it did not go in, in the direction that we intended um, originally, but um, I think from Evangelical's perspective, it afforded us what we wanted from, um, you know, we're too small to own our own health plan, so it gave us tier one access to the health plan, and it allowed um, the clinical providers to get onto the EPIC platform, which is something they really wanted. Speaking of competition and uh, health plans, it's been talked about considerably in the area that UPMC accepts Geisinger's health plan, but Geisinger won't accept UPMC's. Has the medical profession or the healthcare profession become that competitive that we can't work together for the benefit of the patient across all platforms? <laughs> well, you know, this is uh, obviously the interesting point that um, the Department of Justice is looking at is how competitive healthcare is. I think in my seat, on the bus, um, you know, I'm a community hospital. And so, you know, I work for the community and, um, you know, my job is to ensure that the people of the region receive uh, appropriate health care. So the way that I view competition is that, um, you know, we need to at times uh, work together. And so it is a, a competitive environment. I think I can tell you that Evangelical now is only one of 15 independent hospitals in the state. And it it gets harder and harder to remain that way. Our, our board's direction is to remain independent, and so I think that um, we can do that. Uh, we're in a strong position, but we can do that by working cooperatively where it's in the best interest of the patient. And that is not necessarily the way that all health systems um, look at care. I can't speak to Geisinger and, and UPMC's relationship with you know, what, why the health plans, um, you know, why one accepts and the other one doesn't. But uh, health care is extremely competitive. And sometimes I personally don't think that's always in the best interest of the patient. What do you see from the consumer standpoint, Kendra? Do you see much uh, shopping, people calling up and saying, hey, what would it cost to get my gallbladder taken out at Evan? Yeah, I mean, that I think is the shift that's occurring in health care. Health care is one of the strangest um, businesses when it comes to pricing because you set your prices, and then payers negotiate with you what they're going to pay. So it'd be like going to Wise Markets and buying a loaf of bread and saying, you know, the bread says it's two bucks, and you say, eh, I'm only willing to pay a dollar fifty for it. And you know, that's how healthcare works. And so when people have health insurance, and health insurance would always pay for their um, expenses, they really didn't care what it cost. Now. As healthcare costs have just skyrocketed, and health plans are, are putting, um, and, and employers are putting some more responsibility on the consumer to spend out of pocket monies, people are taking much more of an interest in that. And I don't necessarily think that that is a bad thing. You need to know, you know, what your cost of services are. So now there's all these transparency rules and things like that that hospitals have to post what their charges are, and it's it's much more transparent. So that is. Um, definitely in the best interest of the patient. All right, last question that relates to the country covered property. What was the process that you went through before you decided that you would seek the opportunity to purchase it, and what's the process to determine how to best utilize it? Sure. So um, when it became apparent that the country covered was uh, going to close, um, we had the opportunity to express our interest in uh, purchasing the property. All of these types of real estate transactions uh, require board approval. So the board spent a lot of time um, looking at 
was it in our best interest? I think that many people don't realize that we own about 60 acres of land contiguous to that property. So kind of behind it to the west, looping back around to the hospital. We also own Plaza 15. And so um, it was contiguous land. Uh, we've always enjoyed a uh, very good relationship with the Baylor and Ham families. They've always been very supportive of the hospital. So. You know, there's always uh, appraisals done and things that take place. And, um, you know, we went through the process and we made our, our offer to them. And uh, I don't really know what other people were in the game, so to speak, but it ended up that they, they took our offer and, and we purchased uh, the property. And at this point, um, we are really unsure what we're going to, to do with it. Uh, it was, again, contiguous to other land that we have. And... Um, you know, we're assessing it right now. We are um, generating ideas, you know, looking at um, what kind of uh, other potentials there are. At really, we do not know. It, it all happened very quickly, and we are trying to assess um, what we want to do with it. It's an interesting time in healthcare in that um, healthcare hasn't completely rebounded to what it was in 2019. There's still delays in people getting services. Volumes are not back to where they are. So, you know, we, we've pulled back to say, you know, what makes the most sense for us to do and, and let's do it right. I certainly appreciate that the public is, you know, has a, a strong emotional connection to this property um, and that it was a hard thing for the, the family, the Baylorham families to uh, get out of this. But, um, I can tell you that we, we won't be in the restaurant business. All right. Anything oh, so else? So no sticky buns. Oh, jeez. No. <laughs> I'm sure or you... rice pudding or, yeah, nothing. Nothing like that. Okay. You can get them in the cafeteria at the hospital. hospital. They right. have great food there. <laughs> Super food. Okay. Uh, anything you wish to tell us maybe we did not ask? Anything to elaborate on or anything? No, I mean, I, I think when you discuss staffing, um, you know, there's there's certainly, like every other employer, a lot of uh, job opportunities out there. And, um, you know, I think we have a great culture, a great relationship with the community. Our, our patient-to-staffing ratios are better than most. Um, we're transitioning to Epic, and, you know, we have a, a real commitment to quality and a work environment where employees can excel. So I encourage people, if they're interested in positions, we certainly have them. So, um, and I think, you know, we're very proud of the work that the hospital did throughout the pandemic to care for the community. We had more COVID patients per percentage of beds than other um, hospitals in, in the region. But with that being said, I don't always think that the, the, this rural kind of community recognizes the kind of health care it can get across the entire region. And um, I've said it before, but this area is very fortunate to have the level and quality of health care it has from many organizations across the region. And I think the pandemic showed that, you know, this region is fortunate to have the health care access that it does. Well, agreed, and yep, you're agreed. very much a part of that, so we're very grateful for that. Thank you for your time. Yes, thank uh, you, Kendra. Do stay in touch, and we appreciate your observations today. Thank you. I appreciate the conversation.
Take care. Take care. Kendra Auker, President and CEO, Evangelical Community Hospital. Of course, you heard her remarks about uh, staffing. Started their own visiting nursing agency. So uh, that, of course, some of those nurses can go elsewhere. Uh, Significantly higher pay rates than they were enjoying when they were just staff nurses. So that is a big issue. Of course, that adds to the cost of health care. So that, you know, contributes to this uh, increasing cost that just keep going up and up. But uh, this goes to the professionals who are doing the work. So maybe this is all for the best. So call and get the quote on your gallbladder before you have it taken out. Well, I know people that do that. <laughs> How much will it cost me out of pocket with X insurance right. if I go to you? How much will it cost another hospital if I go to X surgeon with, uh, you know, how much out of cost? I think out there, of was, there was a story, I think, in Penn Live the other week about um, they were trying to get cost comparisons at different hospitals in the Harrisburg area. And some of the hospitals were reluctant to provide the information, and they had a lot of caveats before they would answer the question at all. Mm, okay. Well, and I know some folks who did exactly this around here called UPMC and said, I wish to have my gallbladder taken out. How much will it cost out of pocket with my insurance? And then called uh, Evan and said, how much would it cost out of pocket? You know, and there were certainly were a lot of conditions associated, but they got their answer, and then they negotiated and said, okay, well, uh, if you say it's 250 <laughs> UPMC says just 200 Do Can you, you really want to have your gallbladder taken out by the lowest bidder? <laughs> well, it's not quite that. You still picking the greatest surgeons. You know, you're still going to Dr. Ayers or whoever it is at even if that's where you choose. So if they said to you, uh, well, you can have a skilled physician do it at X dollars, <laughs> but we have a guy who's, who moonlights here from time to time. He'll do it for less. <laughs> or we just got a new robot. It's right. AI at the very latest. Now, not all the chips are in yet. And but they call it, it fumbles, but right. other than that. But it can still do pretty well. Oh, gosh. Yeah, that's Lawrence's health care uh, insurance system isn't working. All right, we've got to hit that quick break. Uh, Kevin's irritated already. So 1-800-795-9565, Speedy Dialer, if you wish to comment on the remarks associated with health care and Evangelical Community Hospital from Kendra Auker. But we also launched into, uh, we are going to launch into a post-Memorial Day open phone celebrating the First Amendment by dissing the other side uh, week here on WDKOK. There's something to be said about a sale with a handshake, a service technician who really knows what he's doing. They can explain it in English what the problem is. There's nothing better than having that friend you could trust in the area. That's Sunbury Motors, where you get selection, knowledgeable salespeople, and prices that fit your budget, and more important, that friend you can trust. Welcome to Sunbury Motors, Kia, Ford, and Hyundai. You could shop other dealers and compare prices, but at Sunbury Motors, you get their lowest price promise. They research the current used vehicle market and guarantee their used car prices are the lowest. If you find a lower price, Sunbury Motors will beat it. Three dealers, all in one. See their full new and pre-owned inventory at sunburymotors.com. Pick out a vehicle you like and schedule your test drive online. Follow them on Facebook. Sunbury Motors Ford and Hyundai, North 4th Street, Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. <laughs> Appropriate bumper music is back. Kevin Hearn, our fabulous producer on the other side of the glass. We've already raised his blood pressure once today, but we'll give him a good compliment. He's doing a super job, and so we appreciate that, and he looks fantastic. Yes, we prefer you not have a stroke during the program. He, he probably <laughs> got out in the sun every day. He's as tan as can be. Is he? During I can't see off. him yes, from my position yes, here in the studio. So, look, you look good, buddy. 
Oh, he's going to turn the mic on. Now I got him. Okay, well, E.B. says. No, he's here. Oh, he's right there. Oh, he's going to say no, something? I, I was just going to say, I did get out a little bit. Good. Yeah, yeah you look super duper. All right. Thank you. All right. That's all you're allowed to say. That's it. All right. Uh, <laughs> and that's the show. <laughs> okay. Thank you. And good night, everybody. Great interview. Our friend E.B. chimes in. It was an interesting weekend for the GOP. In response to last week's tragic school shooting, several prominent Republicans suggested that the solution is, surprise, more guns. Specifically, they want to arm teachers. Just a couple of weeks ago, the GOP was telling us that teachers are evil groomers who prey on children with their godless education about slavery and gender identity. So now they want to arm these same groomers. Republicans never cease to amaze me with their utter stupidity. Several other Republicans said the answer is more morality. Well, I agree, and I look forward to the wave of people leaving the Republican Party to become Democrats. Thanks, E.B. Nicely done. Do appreciate it. Yeah, the gun debate has uh, gotten hot and heavy. Uh, hardening schools seems to be the one thing that uh, folks can probably agree on. I don't think the groomers would have the guns. It would be the nice conservative teachers. Who oh, I see. There has to be a Trump <laughs> test before they can give you a test. But you know, but E.B. is doing exactly what so many are doing. They're politicizing this thing. You know, I I think there's some some really EP. yeah he's talking about other people's views and there sp- are some positive word. signs some republican i heard on uh, gordon deal this morning that a republican and democratic senator i i thought it would be mansion and Toomey, but it wasn't it was two others are working together to try and see what kind of legislation might actually pass and i think they've got to do it this time the republicans have got to get off their nobody will take my dead out of my gun out of my cold dead hand philosophy and start saying what can we do to make this harder for people who who shouldn't have guns to get guns. I mean, if they focus on that and they focus on getting illegal guns off the street, who can object to that? Well, and I think uh, there, there are some points that they agree on already going into the discussion, and that's that school safety can be further addressed. You know, there is could be a next level. Uh, yeah, but we don't want to turn it into that uh, thing that the National Rifle Association no, but, uh, right, recommends. They, they, it looks like a jail, only <laughs> right. it's a school. Right, that's fine. And you go through the uh, gate where the you know the, the arm gate goes up and down and lets each minivan through. And no trees through. anywhere near it, no place where somebody can sneak up. Right. I mean, uh, that was horrible. But on the other hand, I think, you know, Somewhere between, you hold that image on the left and on the right where schools are now. Is there anywhere in between? You know, and I think schools and teachers could tell us. They already know that armed individuals in in the school of uh, police, you know, having their own police department, can help. So, you know, what's the next step? Maybe more police. I I don't know. But I I just think they're on the right track if they're willing to listen. Is there some, you don't like red flag laws? Is there something in them you would accept? To be continued. This I'd is accept w- them all. This is WKOK Sunbury. News Radio 1070 WKOK presents On the Mark. It's a chance to voice your opinion on the events that affect life in the Susquehanna Valley. Call 1-800-795-9565 or email onthemark at wkok.com. Now, here are your hosts for On the Mark, Mark Lawrence and Joe McGranahan. Greetings. Welcome all back. WKOK's live telephone talk show, On the Mark. The dream team is back together. That's right, Joe McGranahan and I back together. <laughs> Kevin is part of the dream With team. With somebody to answer the phones for us. Oh, yes. I'm sorry. That would be a producer. <laughs> yes, we got a well-tanned and uh, physically fit super guy on the other side of the glass answering the phones and taking Let me know when he gets here. <laughs> <laughs> we will. Oh, yeah, it's just you. Never mind. If we can ever get him, we'll let you know. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So thank you for that. Joe, you 
check the emails while I, I will do the introduce emails. the show on the market. Sponsored by the Sunbury Motor Company. Check them out at sunburymotors.com. Do as I've done. Go down to the lot, point to one of the trucks and drive it around for a week or so. Well, you don't have to do it that way. But they would let you test drive a vehicle. They ride along with you and give you some of the accoutrements of the vehicle so you know. they got Ford Escape, Escort, uh, you name it. Of course, the Ford Mustang, one of the top ten vehicles in the world, the electric Mustang I'm talking about. And this is uh, just a fantastic vehicle. So they'd love to do business with you. I'm going to set the scene with Sunbury Motor Company a little bit more later, but I just want you to know uh, that they are a sponsor, and you can find them at sunburymotors.com. All right, call us now, 1-800-795-9565. We were lucky enough to talk to Kendra Auker for about 20 minutes this morning about really ultra-modern health care, where they are headed and the staffing issues they've had and where they are on that topic now. Getting on Epics will be noteworthy because we know, as Geisinger, you can look at your health care record and just it's an open book, so that might be good. Uh, if you wish to talk about that, or we talked a little bit about the gun debate, uh, there is uh, the idea that some uh, gun-oriented reforms could be possible, but they could also be mental health reforms or school reforms or gun law reforms. So that discussion is underway again. Fortunately, I know we'll do nothing, so we don't have to actually worry about anything happening, but that's another topic. Call us now, 1-800-795-9565. You can email us at onthemarketwkok.com and text us at 70236. <laughs> You all right? Yes, thank you. A Milton man in critical condition after a motorcycle crash over the weekend. 65-year-old Christopher Smith in Geisinger in intensive care, injured on Susquehanna Trail uh, Sunday afternoon. Sunbury's Memorial Day observance heard this remark from Jody Auker, a retired Air Force colonel, lives in Sunbury, of course, former Sunbury city manager, uh, was one of the speakers at the Memorial Day observance in Cameron Park and spoke about this observation while she was at a military hospital in Balad, Iraq. The American soldiers' bodies are placed in black body bags and draped with an American flag. When the people from Mortuary Affairs come to take them, we do a salute to fallen angels. Room, attention. We stop what we are doing, even patient care, and stand straight and still. Present arms. We salute as the litters are wheeled past. Holding our salute, until they are taken out the door. Order arms. Our salute is these three, sons, brothers, husbands, fathers, passed by us, is the smallest gesture to honor the greatest sacrifice. Memorial Day for me is changed forever. And you can hear more about her remarks at WKOK.com. There were a wide range of services throughout the central Susquehanna Valley. WHTM-TV reporting today, an Alabama military post may soon be renamed after a decorated Pennsylvania veteran. Fort Rucker in Alabama is one of nine Army posts currently named after Confederate officers that have been recommended by an independent commission to assume new names, not the officers, the forts. (laughs) That's what that sentence says, isn't it? They're going to rename the people? Anyway, should the proposed changes be approved, Fort Rucker in Alabama would be named Fort Novacell after Chief Warrant (laughs) Officer Michael Novacell, a decorated Allegheny County native who served in World War II and Vietnam. And this story will prompt some discussion. I hope a victory party took on the feel of an evangelical worship service after Doug Mastriano won Pennsylvania's Republican gubernatorial primary this month as a Christian singer led the crowd in song. 
some raised their arms towards the heavens in praise. Mastriano opened his remarks by evoking scripture, God uses the foolish to confound the wise. He claimed that Pennsylvania's freedom would be snatched away if Democratic opponent wins in November. Uh, he is a Christian nationalist, according to all observers, and uh, we had I had to look this up, but it's individuals. Wikipedia says Christian nationalism is individuals who primarily focus on internal politics, such as passing laws that reflect their view of Christianity. So trying to blur separation of church and state? Well, not necessarily. I'll stand up for him under these circumstances. I think, you know, he's like a Fred Keller. His faith is so immersive and through and through. Uh, he says right out that the faith is where I'm going to go first for advice and then to other individuals. So, you know, hey, at least I have no he's problem with there. that as long as they're also focused on guaranteeing others their right to religious freedom. Right. Well, and then one of our good listeners called us and said this was a hit piece and was really? shoddily done. I don't see that criticism in here, but hey, it's uh, if you are a Mastriano fan and it's written by AP, which is mainstream media, I can see how... Well, remember what AP stands for. Almost pathetic. Almost, but not quite <laughs> not pathetic. Quite. Okay. So Christian nationalism, health care, gun rights. We launch into an open phones week. Uh, Stan is standing by. Uh, Stan, you're on the mark. I assume you want to talk about the health care topics of the day. Sure. Yeah, the health care. Yeah, people getting shot, that's pretty poor health care. Uh, now, Joe said something about uh, common sense gun laws. But I'm, I'm, more, I'm for all kinds of common sense laws. I'm for the common sense that if a criminal uses a firearm to commit a crime, if it's an armed burglary or an armed theft or an armed assault, whatever, nobody dies, that person gets a mandatory minimum of 10 years, preferably more, and never sees a light a day after, you know, until the time is served. No parole, no nothing. He stays in prison. Or her. Could be a woman. I won't be sexist here. It could be both, either one. And as far as anybody that commits a crime with a gun and a person dies, that person should never, ever see the light of day again, ever. Preferably, in my opinion, they should be executed, but I know in a lot of states that won't happen. That would be common sense to me, because you can't, you know, it, because all the laws that they're talking about, all they do is punish the law-abiding citizen that has committed no crime, won't commit a crime, but again, we want to punish them. How Why red, is that? How do red flag laws punish people who are not mentally or uh, for some other reason don't have unqualified to have a gun? <laughs> if they don't have red flags. Even, 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 even uh, the mentally incapacitated have due process, Joe. Do they now, have a right to have guns? If they're a mental defective in the courts, they are prohibited. Or if they've been committed to a mental institution involuntarily, they cannot own a gun. It says so right on the paper. It's against the law already. So now if a person come up and says, okay, Uncle Joe over there, he's a little whacked out. He's crazy. Right away, red flags, they want to come take the guns away from him with no due process. That's where the problem is. We still have due process in this country. Last time I checked with the Constitution, correct? Now, the judge isn't sufficient due process in your view. Most of these red flags will not, involve a judge. Not if the guy can't make a defense. And in most of these cases, the guy cannot, the person, I shouldn't say a guy because it could be a woman too. I don't want to be sexist here, as I said. <laughs> Either or, 
cannot make a defense. They come in and take the guns. Then the defense has to be mounted. Okay, but here's the, no th- here, here's the thing, Stan. For them to do that, someone would have to swear out an affidavit saying, I think Uncle Stanley's a little nuts and he's waving guns around at our family dinner, <laughs> right. and I'm he concerned says, I'm about it. shoot a school. Okay, so they take Uncle Stanley's guns because, quite frankly, they don't have, they, they, they're not certain whether he's a threat to judge himself okays or others. It. The judge okays it. Okay, so then they find out that the judge, that that he was wrong, uh, that the family was wrong, and then Uncle, Uncle Earl is not as nuts as they said. Uncle Stan. Uncle Stan, okay. <laughs> not as nuts as they said. So he could follow suit against them. He gets his guns back. Where's the harm? Where's the foul? Well, Uncle Stanley has to spend lots of money to defend himself for no reason, correct? And not for no Joe, reason. Not for no reason. It's just an opinion. It's not evidence. As you told me during the election... It's not for no reason, though, Stan. I mean, if he's exhibiting some sort of antisocial behavior or threatening behavior, you know, if it's just out of spite that somebody turns him in, then they should pay a serious price. But for the sake of saving human life, isn't it worth taking a chance? Uh, that's that's the quandary, isn't it? If it saves but one life, isn't it worth taking everybody else's rights? Is, Is that there, what we've been told? We've been told that for years. It's not taking and I, them. I hear that all the time. Now, I don't want anybody to die, Joe. Don't get me wrong. I don't want anybody to die. But if Uncle Joe is being crazy by his relatives and he's threatening his relatives and the cops need to become come in and then the cops can take him and involuntarily commit. At that point, Uncle Joe can't have guns anymore. That's the federal law. Okay? Then they can take his guns from him. Because if he's threatening somebody unwarrantedly, then I don't have a problem with that. But it's but if not. It's just because some neighbor says, oh, uh, Joe over there, is, is he has a lot of guns and I'm afraid. And they call the cops and they come and take them without any due process. That's the kind of stuff that needs to be stopped. Okay, it's so not, that's right. an extreme it's not example. Kind of not taking, it's not taking his rights. It's suspending them. All right. And those are extreme <laughs> examples of misuse of it. We'll give you that, Stan, that certainly without any proper adjudication. Is there any element within a red flag law that you think we could adopt with lots of guardrails and curbs and subsidies for indigent people to defend themselves and so on? Is there anything in a red flag law that could work or well, could help? let's see. In New York State, they have a red flag law. A guy in Buffalo threatened to shoot up his school. He was convicted, but evidently they never put that into the system. Okay. So he was able to purchase the firearm because if it had been put into the system when he was done the background check, because he supposedly went to a dealer and bought it quote legally. All right. Well, I'll take that as a no. I'll take that as a no. That's fine. Failed. So how are we going to correct the system? All right, we got you. All right, Stan. We'll give you the last word. Ten seconds or so. Go right ahead. <laughs> well. You know, Uncle Joe Biden down there, you know, <laughs> the remember the Constitution, <laughs> the Second Amendment, nothing is, is how did he put it? Set in stone, on waiver, unchangeable. How did, how did he put it? I forget. I, I'm, I forget the word he used. Uh, it, ah, yeah, I can't remember. But basically he says, he says, basically the Constitution, you know, isn't 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 good. You know, it, it's not. Oh, also, yes, by the way, it's democracy is never good. Yeah, right. Second Amendment is not absolute. All right, thank you so much, yeah, Dan. Thank, thanks for checking in. <laughs> All right, last caller before a quickie break. Uh, Cindy, you're on the mark. Thank you so much for waiting. We've talked healthcare earlier this morning. Now we're talking specifically, kind of focused on red flag. But uh, any topic is good on an open day. 
Well, I want to <clears throat> I want to ask an important question of my neighbors. If your child, your teenager, came to you and said some pretty derogatory things to you, and closed the conversation by saying, "Oh, by the way, can I have fifty bucks?" What would your response be to that teenager? <laughs> Like, not in this lifetime, right? Okay. If your spouse or partner came to you and ripped you a new one for whatever the reason and then turned around and said, oh, by the way, I want us to take out this debt to have a new car or whatever they want, what would, would you be inclined to cooperate with them? <laughs> and yet this is how our politicians deal with issues like this. They go on television or down to the floor of Congress, and they start calling each other names, outlandish things. I don't know how that is functional. But all the rest of us understand that in a negotiation, and this is a negotiation, you need to at least treat each other with respect. If someone came and knocked on my door and, and called me eight you know, kinds of pejoratives, and oh, by the way, I want to buy your house, I would invite them to leave immediately. I don't understand why we think that in the political process, abusing the people you want to negotiate with is at all functional or acceptable, frankly. And the sorrow of it is, the horror of it is, this is now emulated by many people in our society. I don't think that contributes to solving the problem by exaggerating the issue or by condemning the other person out of hand. I don't think that helps at all. In fact, I believe it builds roadblocks. And the more that you uh, deal with someone by name-calling and deriding them and describing what they believe in as something terrible, the less likely they are to negotiate with you, not just about that issue, but about many issues. Yeah, but your goal is common sense and good government, and you think uh, paying somebody a hundred some thousand dollars a year is to get the full measure of devotion toward the U.S. and trying to push the government forward and and helping people and maybe make government the right size. But that's not why they're there. They're there to get reelected, get their money, get wealthier, and keep their side powerful. Uh, you know, so you and I could think of ways that the government. You know, Joe has this thing where he often says, "Well, what he should have." Said, you know, and it's like what our government should have done is, you know, is there any element in a red flag law that might help, or is there anything in this budget? Is there anything uh, that President Trump said about the border and the fencing that he had hoped to put up? Is there any element there that actually helped, you know, and maybe use that as a best practice? Of course, you're in healthcare; you recognize best practices and have used and lived by them, and probably have been mandated at sometimes to use them, even if you maybe you thought had something you wanted to do something different. But in government, it's you no know, the best practice is to get reelected and to stay wealthy. Well, I'm sorry, but I think that one of the I think Cindy's absolutely right. She's hit the nail on the head. If I start calling you names today and we're elected <laughs> officials, and tomorrow I want your help on a bill I'd like to see passed, why would you and I? Why on earth would you ever help me? You know, right. it would just close my heart to anything you had to say. You could be the most reasonable thing on earth, and I'm like not 
not with you, Joe. Not yeah. after what you called me or my child or my spouse or. I speak, I speak every year. I, I've been asked to speak, and I hope they continue to do that, to speak to the Leadership Susquehanna Valley class about local government. And one of the things I always say to them at the very outset is you cannot make it personal. You disagree with issues, not with people. And if you start demeaning the people that you're, you, you, who are opposed to you, you've locked them into their position without any hope of moving them toward yours. You're absolutely right. And I hear this behavior all the time on On the Mark unfortunately hmm. and i think is i ask myself is this a reflection of them emulating the politicians or are the politicians emulating what's become of society now when i deal with my neighbors or or go to a local government thing typically not always i have been called names but typically we can all just listen to each other, whether we agree or not. I've called in here and said things I know Joe disagrees with strongly. He's never broken out into obscenities or <laughs> called me, you know, a mad woman. It's, it's because awesome, he Mike. recognizes in a mature adult, we, don't, we shouldn't do that. We should be capable of discussing a problem without attacking each other. Because if you behave that way, you aren't going to solve the problem. And then I wonder, is that on purpose? I think sometimes these issues... The politicians deliberately inflame the public and pit people against each other on purpose. Not because they're foolish or misguided, but they, but they gain power by having us after each other instead of after the problem. Good point. Well, thank you so thank much. Thank you, Cindy. Yeah, thank Cindy, you'll be happy to know that I knew this was going to happen uh, when I uh, Bill, uh, promoted this morning's show after Memorial Day. So I said, we celebrate our summertime and free speech in the USA by arguing with bitter partisan rhetoric, knowingly false statements, and vitriolic, disparaging name-calling at the other side. Salute. Oh, I missed that. Mark, well, that is... At the bottom I, of I should email. have just said what Mark said. <laughs> Ditto. <laughs> You're absolutely right. right. You're well, absolutely right, Mark. See, and while we disagree on some things, I can agree with you on this. Isn't that lovely? <laughs> absolutely. Thank you so much, Cindy. Thanks, Thanks Cindy. for calling in. Take care. All right, 1-800-795-9565 is our telephone number. I disparagingly call it the vortex that removes the brain matter of elected individuals in Harrisburg and Washington. But to be complimentary, we send individuals <laughs> of great knowledge, and we typically find most of the actions of our local politicians to be satisfactory. But uh, once they get within inside the beltways of either Washington or Harrisburg, it seems like the partisan aspect takes over. All right, what's your view on that topic, Cindy's call, that uh, we're really divided and that we're kind of being stirred up intentionally? And, of course, we want things to be divided. Is that our nature? Is there anything we can do? We talked a little bit about gun laws and red flag laws, and one of our good listeners rejects that. We got three emails that relate to the uh, weapons and guns topic. Time to so, rouse the rabble. So we can get to those, and we got one caller waiting. Are so you a rabble rouser? Uh, not, not generally, <laughs> no. 1-800-795-9565 is our telephone number. You can email us at onthemarketwkok.com and text us at 70236. There's something to be said about a sale with a handshake, a service technician who really knows what he's doing, they can explain it in English what the problem is. There's nothing better than having that friend you could trust in the area. That's Sunbury Motors, where you get selection, knowledgeable salespeople, and prices that fit your budget, and more important, that friend you can trust. Welcome to Sunbury Motors, Kia, Ford, and Hyundai. You could chop other dealers and compare prices, but at Sunbury Motors, you get their lowest price promise. They research the current used vehicle market and guarantee their used car prices are the lowest. 
If you find a lower price, Sunbury Motors will beat it. Three dealers all in one. See their full new and pre-owned inventory at sunburymotors.com. Pick out a vehicle you like and schedule your test drive online. Follow them on Facebook. Sunbury Motors Ford and Hyundai, North 4th Street, Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Try to seek my way, do I have to keep on talking till I can go? While you see it your way, run the risk of knowing that our love may soon be gone. We can work it out. <laughs> no, I don't think we can. Yeah, we that didn't go over well for like, the Beatles. Uh, fighting. <laughs> uh, upper right-hand corner, Joe, if oh, you we, would. Um, Eric's been waiting quite a while. Well, you want to get to Eric, or you want me to read this? Read, please. All right. We have blamed guns, indifference, and mental health all play their part. Another large part is politicians. They are more concerned about staying in office and being right, which is often not so right. Many of these shooters have mental issues. Current solution, three days, eight night, institutionalized, and back on the streets. What does this solve? Our government can form a committee in a heartbeat for things of this uh, on some consequence i guess they mean children's lives should be worth more well, that's right. We still value guns more than kids. And until we flip oh, that yeah. around, we're uh, not there yet. I it's... saw this meme over the weekend that said, if you would ban um, abortion before you ban assault rifles, you have given up your right to call yourself pro-life. And, of course, everybody who was liberal was chiming in, amen, <laughs> hallelujah. And if I, I didn't oh, want to get my hat handed to me or my head handed to me, I would have typed in, how about we do both at the same time? Mm. And see how that would have gone over. All right. <laughs> Eric, thank you for your patience. Much appreciated. Go right ahead. Good morning, gentlemen. Thank you for taking my call. Um, so Stan wants to take this issue and make it, oh, you know, the far end of things that we might lose a gun if, if someone accuses and so forth. And then Cindy is upset because people get upset and perhaps use some language inappropriate or to, to bring uh, emotion into it. But at what point in this country do we finally sit down and say enough is enough? And frankly, I'm, I'm a gun owner. I do not want my guns taken away. And as a gun owner, I think all gun owners should be concerned that if we don't do something, then there will be a groundswell in this country, and they will come and try to take everything. Why don't, why don't the Republicans realize that this is now a, a, a great important issue, and the latest polls are how many... What's the greater percentage of people who believe that assault weapons should be banned? And I'm not even saying that point. My point, the point I made last week, and I apologize, I was rather upset when I called in as I was just getting ready in to see my new grandbaby in Georgia. I'm now back in Pennsylvania, beautiful central PA, and calmer. <laughs> but the fact of the matter is that, 20, that 19 children, children, elementary school children were slaughtered. That's right, slaughtered, along with two of their teachers trying to defend them. Now, this country, and the Republicans especially, want to stand pat as they were trying to say at the NRA convention. Did anyone else find the irony of the fact that the NRA convention was only 300 miles away and basically <laughs> the same day, the next day that this happened? Second time that's happened. After the shooting at Sandy Hook, I believe, the NRA met shortly thereafter, but, you know, went on mm -hmm. with their meeting and so on. And, again, how many was more killed at Sandy Hook, and what happened after that, gentlemen? Nothing. Crickets. Because, again, again, <laughs> we say we can't do anything about it. Well, it's time to say enough is enough. As a first step, 
for all humanity. If we don't allow people under 21 to own handguns, why in the name of everything are we allowing people under 21 to buy assault rifles? Well, I think the simplest answer, just to be flip, is that it isn't enough yet. You know, the NRA is not going to allow politicians to vote on any gun law changes because it isn't enough yet. I mean, there may be a time, you know, there may be a time you're saying it is enough, but I think they're saying and most of the politicians in Washington are saying, nope, not enough yet. You know, what do we need? 60 kids dead? Nope, not enough. How about 100 kids? How about every child in the U.S.? Are you ready to change gun laws? Nope, not yet. You know, so you just have to wait and see when they'll finally say, okay, that's the number. But, the but president, we're not there yet. President Biden is right about one thing. He said the Second Amendment isn't locked in stone. I mean, anything in the Constitution can be changed. You know, and remember, what it says is that right to bear arms in a well-regulated militia. So there's certainly there were qualifications put on it in the first place that are <laughs> very meaningless today. We don't have well-regulated militias anymore. You know, and, and if, if we did, I can't imagine what purpose they would solve. But you're right. I would have no trouble. I would have no trouble to say, okay, anyone who is part of the Army National Guard, which is the closest thing we have to militia, the PA National Guard's closest thing we have to militia, anyone who is in that should be able to have an assault rifle if they've been trained. Okay, I don't have a problem with that. But to allow kids, children, because we know in our society... The age majority is, is 21, but how, how many of our youth are still developing under the coddles of society at that time? Well, you've got a good I mean, point, Eric. You've got a good point. And I don't see how anybody could object to uh, there being a waiting period between the time you order a gun and the time you get it, time sufficient to allow for a background check or at least some investigation into what you may be doing with it, you know, whether your the your problem, intent is good or and bad. I agree, Joe. I agree. But, but, again, the Republicans are fighting even that, are they not? They don't want to close a loophole where you can walk into a gun show and buy it on the spot and walk out with it. That's not true. Well, Mark's up. Mark's upset about uh, universal background checks yes. because he wants to give his guns to his daughter. <laughs> All right. So, the, I'm just saying the gun show loophole is a misnomer. Let's call it what it is. It's just private sales of guns to private individuals. It may happen at a gun show, but 99 percent of private sales of guns don't happen at a gun show. So, you, just to be clear, you, but you you can as a private person sell another. You cannot sell another handgun to another person. You have to go through a gun dealer. Right, but that's not what's getting sold in the parking lot of gun shows. It's rifles that people agree to buy from an individual. Including assault weapons. But how do you know? It could be any illegal gun. If if there's no check or balance on it, you don't know what's being sold in that parking lot. Well, we're talking about gun shows where they're supposed to be illegal. I'm just telling you what the law is. It doesn't have anything to do with the fact that some of the guys meet up or some of the people meet up at gun shows. I would invite anyone to call in and counter me to saying what rationale we have for anyone under 21 who cannot own a handgun, anyone under 21 to still be able to buy an assault rifle, like this lad did in Texas. He bought one on his 18th birthday. He bought the second three days later, and within a week went in and slaughtered 21 people with it. Yeah, I want to have anyone call in and refute me why we should continue to allow these kids to own these 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 weapons of mass destruction potentially when they can't even own a handgun or can't have a drink if society or believes they're not qualified to drink you can't handle it but you can join the army or, uh, or even drive under uh, drive past midnight if they're 
haven't had a year behind the wheel. <laughs> All right, we got you. Right? But 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 you can walk in with, and without training, without the need to have you know, even go to a um, a training anything, you can own it, walk in, purchase the ammunition, and apparently in Texas, then within five days, walk into a school and slaughter twenty one people. All right, we got you, Eric. Er, thank you so much, sir. Thank you for and calling and, and in. And enter Cindy's question. Yes, people are going to get upset because it's far past the time to be upset. We're and not there yet. Letter doesn't work, and everything in stonewalled in Washington because that bill about the red flag and so forth has been before Congress what two or three years, and they just refuse to talk about it. Not yet. So until not there until yet. Until Americans stand up and say enough is enough, and demand action, and that's what we're trying to do now: demand action. And now, like the NRA says, oh well, it's not time yet, or or the governor of Texas, and and shame on him. Didn't he want to talk about handgun restrictions? He said the issue is mental health. And my final point is this. Okay, so you have background checks. An 18-year-old likely hasn't been even come to the knowledge or into the um, system at age 18. And if they are, I'm not even sure if they're, uh, as a youth, that's even knowledge they can even look into. Well, right. remember, likely it's me like this young lad, he had a clean go. record because he hadn't done anything remember yet. What, Thank you, Eric. Remember Thank what, you ben, so Franklin, remember what ben Franklin said, though. Those who would give up essential liberty to purchase a little temporary safety deserve neither liberty nor safety. I think that's been adapted by the NRA. <laughs> All right, 1-800-795-9565 is our telephone number. Upper right-hand corner, Joe, and then we'll All take right. a break. I want to give my two cents into this gun control issue. The video games out there for kids to play are so violent, it isn't even funny. I've sat and watched kids play these games and was shocked at what they entail. Shoot this one, shoot that one, no fear, no feeling. Kids will play these games and be mesmerized for a whole day, plus are online with other kids from all over who play along. You can't tell me this constant attention playing on violence does not warp a kid's mind over time. Oh my. And when a new game comes out, the kids have no rest until it's purchased and serves as an all-day babysitter for those kids while all along warping their minds. No wonder we don't see too many kids out playing or riding their bikes anymore. Where are they? Sitting at the computer playing games. All right. Another listener sends us a note, says, I play these games and I don't go out and shoot people. <laughs> Same person could say that it had a uh, tranquilizing impact, that I wanted to shoot people, but I didn't. <laughs> I played video games instead. And then one of our other emailers, our friend Tom, says, always nice to hear Stanley LaPierre repeating <laughs> the NRA talking points. Not. <laughs> All right. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back. We've got two callers waiting. We'll take more comers. 1-800-795-9565. You can email us at onthemark at wkok.com. And text us at 70236. 70%. Enough is enough. Nope, not yet. Everybody's saying. Not yet. We're getting close, but we don't we haven't killed enough kids yet. Not, not yet. yet. Uh, you had said about a three-day waiting period. It's funny. You don't, no, we don't want gun control three-day waiting periods, but you have to wait three days to get married. Marriage license, in yes. Pennsylvania, in Pennsylvania, three weekdays. So if you get your license on Friday, it's Wednesday when you can get married. So uh, I guess getting married is more dangerous than getting a gun. Well, I couldn't agree more. <laughs> Mike, you're on the mark. Well, you're in trouble tonight. <laughs> hey, uh, good morning, men. Uh, in, in, in full disclosure, I just want to admit something. When it comes to Democrat Party narratives, I think if you look behind each narrative, at best you're going to find misinformation and 
most likely at worst you're going to find a lie okay and, and, and to me, <laughs> coming from the man I, who represents the party who has promulgated the big lie well we can we can talk about the, the big lie but now that you want to talk about lies I, I just give you two i have a list right here we could talk about the rest of this show the, the oil situation and the forest fires in the west but that's not why i called i called about guns here's the thing i want to know where is the outrage i was watching the tv i believe it was saturday morning uh, philadelphia news they reached 200 murders already this year in philadelphia and that's just one blue city in this country okay so we have these democrats that are telling us how they're going to protect us and in los angeles san francisco chicago baltimore philadelphia them Democrats, they can't even protect their own people. And if you go to Philadelphia and you give me a dime for every Democrat that holds a major party office down there, I don't think I could buy a cup of coffee at Sheets in a refill, and that only cost a buck. So where, where do the Democrats get off having this high horse of outrage when they're not outraged and they're not doing New York, they got a mayor. They elected a former, what, a former police commissioner to be mayor. And people are walking around shooting each other for no, no. reason at all, just for fun. He was a former police right. lieutenant, a police lieutenant, not a commissioner. That, that's all he was, a lieutenant. I thought that's he was hired now. Well, but anyway. That was pretty he, he good. Was I mean, that's a... Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's he was a police officer. You really believe this, Mike? I mean, you, you think that's the heart of the matter that Democrats, uh, you know, urban centers are Democrat. That's sort of the nature of people. And it's Democrats and their terrible gun laws aren't making them safer. I, I, you're a lot... You're a lot smarter than this. If this is the only argument you have is that Democrat can't run cities, what do you bring to the table? What solutions do you bring to the table today? That's what I'd like to hear. Well, I'll tell you what. To start for one, the uh, every almost every time we hear of a, a shooting like that just occurred, okay, and they and they seem to be going in cycles. You know, you get copycats and and people that are on the edge. You know, because the reality is. If you take a certain number of people, there's going to be a killer in there. I, I don't know what the percentage is, but when you read about serial killers, which seem to be on a decline now because of, of all the surveillance techniques that we have, we seem to be kind of cutting down on the serial killers. They just get caught before they become an efficient serial killer. So it's in, it's in the human nature uh, for certain people just to want to kill each other. And we can go ahead and we can confiscate every gun in this country. And we're still going to have people killing each other, like maybe running them over in parades uh, with knives, with bricks. Here, right, right up here in Bloomsbury, we had some guy trying to beat somebody to death with a phone. You know, so it, this is, in my mind, yeah, we have a problem here. It's not a gun problem; it's a people problem. All right, and. Actually, it's a people you... with guns problem. That actually, it's a people with guns problem. No, it's just a people problem. Well, if that same person had a club, if the, if the school shooter in Texas had a club instead of a gun, how many people do you think would have been killed even if the police waited outside for an hour? How big is a club? I don't know. <laughs> a baseball bat, for the sake of argument. I do not want to speculate on all the different ways that people could commit mass murder, okay? Let's, let's just not go there. But, you know, we, we, we've, we've seen 
you know, in, in these cities in Chicago, in Philadelphia, they're not shooting people up with AK-47s or uh, AR-15s. They're shooting people up, you know, generally with handguns. You know, occasionally somebody has a shotgun in the closet that they stumble upon and go crazy. But, I, I, like I said, we, we have the oil situation, and, and I can give you the five reasons, reasons that Biden said it was... It was uh, not him and not the Democrats. But when you come right down to it, it really, the root cause is the Democrats are holding up. They're doing everything they can to fight oil production, okay? And that's drive, that the market looks at that and the price goes up. Now, when it comes to guns, you know, a lot, a lot of these people here say, well, you know, we have to have this, how many waiting uh, periods and things like that. Well, the truth of the matter is there's so many ARs out there. There's so many guns. That people that want to kill are going to be able to kill. <laughs> and, and, and now, what kind of laws do we want? Okay, we have a law called a background check, right? And what we found out that, and I think Joe, you may have mentioned it on this show, that a lot of times people go and they and they they don't tell the truth or they make a mistake on the gun law, but it's or on the, uh, okay. the form that you fill out, with, right. you know, federal form, and it's very rarely prosecuted. Is that correct? Is that yep. your understanding? It's prosecuted in Shemokin Dam, or at least the, the arrest is made. Mike, one more minute. We've got to move on. Okay. All, all, all I'm saying is every time there is a, a crisis, and, and we're in a crisis right now, government, normal reaction is to do something, okay? And usually that do something isn't the right thing. <laughs> and to, to rush to judgment here and, and, and go crazy... You know, I don't know. I don't know if the Democrats want to do that. They probably like to milk this out right, right until election <laughs> yeah, this, day. This that plus the, the leak from the Supreme Court will help them out. And the oil crisis and all, every crisis they can get their hands on and tell us that they're going to solve the problem when they're in complete control right now. There's no doubt about it. Democrats are in complete control. Well, but they, they can't can get anything, anything through the want. Senate. They, they're not in control of the Senate. and that is the, They are in control the of the Senate. Ultra. They just don't have 60 votes in the Senate. Right. That's what I, you know what I mean. So they, yeah, they're not in complete control. I know you can say on paper, yes, they have majorities everywhere, and they have the White House. But if you can't get anything through, what difference does it make? All right, we got you, Mike. Thank you so much. Okay. Great comments. Always glad to hear from you. I want to tell you about the Sunbury Motor Company. Some folks have forgotten what they got. They got it all. Okay, they got three addresses. One, 4th Street, Sunbury. Two, Route 11 and 15 Hummel's Wharf at Runyon Road, okay, if you've got the intersection. And sunburymotors.com is their web address. What do they got on 4th Street? The Quick Lane. That's where you get yourself pumped up with nitrogen. Joe's been pumped up with nitrogen. He looks great. Uh, Kevin was too, and he's got a pinkish hue today. It looks fantastic. So they got state inspections, an alignment shop, a body shop, a car shop, a uh, truck shop, a great big truck shop. They got an, a, a body shop. Did I say that? Okay. And they have a, a lot of other shops there, but they take fantastic care of you on 4th Street, and they also have brand new Ford, Hyundai, and Kias in the showroom. You can look at a new vehicle and air-conditioned comfort down there, and they would just love to do business with you. Join the millions of people who have said, hey, Sunbury Motor Company gave me a great deal on a vehicle. Sunbury Motors, sunburymotors.com. we got three callers waiting, so they're going to get on the radio. We may not get to all the texts and emails. We'll try to get to some, but we got a caller standing by. We'll be right back. There's something to be said about a sale with a handshake, a service technician who really knows what he's doing 
and can explain it in English what the problem is. There's nothing better than having that friend you could trust in the area. That's Sunbury Motors, where you get selection, knowledgeable salespeople, and prices that fit your budget, and more important, that friend you can trust. Welcome to Sunbury Motors, Kia, Ford, and Hyundai. You could chop other dealers and compare prices, but at Sunbury Motors, you get their lowest price promise. They research the current used vehicle market and guarantee their used car prices are the lowest. If you find a lower price, Sunbury Motors will beat it. Three dealers, all in one. See their full new and pre-owned inventory at sunburymotors.com. Pick out a vehicle you like and schedule your test drive online. Follow them on Facebook. Sunbury Motors Ford and Hyundai, North 4th Street, Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Welcome back to the KOK Live Telephone Talk Show on the Mark. I'm Mark Lawrence. we got three callers standing by. You each get about two minutes. Joe, read something right. before we go to the phone. Rob says, Joe and Mark, this will be quite difficult to document, but how many shootings have been prevented because of our current gun laws? All right. Thank you. All right. And another emailer says, to the people against hardening schools, would you rather your kids be in prison-like environment or in a morgue? Even if you outlaw the guns, the potential still exists until we take care of these sick juveniles. Lance, you're on the mark. And I was ready to roll here. Well, what if we had another constitutional right that took uh, every 30 months as many kids under the age 14 as what died in 20 years in all the school shootings that we had? What would you want to do with that if that was a constitutional right? You I gather we're talking it? abortion again, and that's not our topic no, today. No, no. Alcohol. Alcohol, all right. <laughs> right, that's alcohol, pal. And that's on the uh, highway alone. <laughs> and if you take it all off in 20 years, it's about 70,000 under the age of 21 at 3,000 a year. The worst year we ever had, according to what I've been able to find out, was in 2020. When thirteen hundred and I believe fifty kids overall, I mean, I'm talking every shooting you can imagine in the city was how many were taken out, and I just uh, think it's uh, really quite amazing that every time I start talking about this, I'm a voice crying in the wilderness while all these kids <laughs> wow. are not in the. In silence. Well, those are terrible numbers, but there's not enough, okay? So it's just like guns. Listen, to drink or not to drink is a personal choice. Getting shot isn't. I know, but it's not because the kid took the drink. It's because somebody else did. Those kids weren't driving those cars. That's true. But, you know, they are out on the highway. They, they've been trained. And, you know, it's, it's sad that there are this, these kinds of accidents, and drunk drivers are bad. No question about that. But it's a little bit different. The drunk driver probably didn't intend to get smashed and go out and kill someone, whereas the kid in the classroom with the gun did. Thank you, Lance. Uh, next okay. up is Harry. Harry, you're on the mark. Go right ahead. Two minutes. Yeah, I think that the... Uh the biggest thing with, to, re, to keep in mind with all of these, uh, uh, you know, proposed legislation and the beating of one's chest and everything is you cannot, laws govern moral acts, but you can't create laws that, that um, govern morality because that's inside somebody. You can't take a society that has very little regard for human life or other people's 
property or opinions or lives, and then expect them to follow the laws and and be be law-abiding citizens. We've taken away responsibility for actions like, oh, it wasn't from the very early age. If you do something wrong in school now, for example, oh, it wasn't your fault. That teacher doesn't like you. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. And, and until we get back to having responsibility for our own actions and respect for uh, human and, most importantly, in my opinion, God's laws, you're not going to see any change in this. And you can legislate all you want, and there won't be a change. All right. my, my opinion. All right. We got you. Thank you so much, nice. Harry. G- great remark. I appreciate it. Thanks for calling in. All right, Dick, last caller from Milton, PA. Go ahead, sir. Well, on the I wanted mark. to talk about the well-regulated militia. Remember the well-regulated militia in Michigan wanted to kidnap the governor? And, of course, they were found <laughs> not guilty, so to speak, in, in, by, the juror, or by the judge only because uh, they, the FBI had infiltrated the militia. And uh, if they hadn't infiltrated the militia, they probably would have succeeded with their plan. I guess that's the other side of that coin. Are you uh, but sure they're well-regulated? They, were, they uh, were militia uh, members. Yeah. I'm sure every state has militia. So they didn't really have the, the – I don't know how well-regulated they were, but they didn't have best intentions to, to kill the governor or kidnap the governor. It's not the same thing. No, I think by, by well-regulated, they meant sponsored by the government or serving some I, I governmental function. I understand, but, I, but I'm, not sure that, I'm not sure they weren't sponsored by the state of Michigan. They said the Michigan members of the Michigan militia. They just hijack the name militia, but they're not the same as the militia mentioned in the Constitution. They're not like the militia that went out to battle the Indians who were raiding on the frontier. They're not the Pennsylvania militia, which are individuals who are trying to help law-abiding citizens. And uh, well, I think they thought they were help, trying to help somebody too, the people in Michigan. <laughs> well, yeah, by killing somebody. That's not how we do it. Well, I think you've got a good point from the standpoint that a group of people with guns trying to do something illegal is pretty dangerous. So I'll agree with you on that. All right. We got That's you, it. Dick. Thanks for calling in. Thanks, Dick. Yep. Appreciate the call. All right. Boy, he took us right up to the post. Right. Fabulous. We'll do this again tomorrow. There without goes Ken- May. Without Kendra, because <laughs> oh yeah, we imposed upon her in the first part of the program this morning. Excellent interview, by the way. Right, and we got, thank you. We got five texts and four emails, so we'll get to those tomorrow ASAP. Some are contextual, so I'll have to do a little recapping. But we got Open Phones Wednesday on the way. This is WDK OK Sunbury, 10 a.m. Good morning.